a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The KSL Greenhouse. Information and great talk about your home, garden, and your lawn. If you love perennials, can't get enough help on landscape design, or just want to keep your lawn and vegetable garden pest-free, grab a pen. It's the KSL Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. And with that opening music, it's always a sunny day, even when it's not a sunny day, Ton. It is, and I did see a beautiful sunrise this morning when I... I got to probably 60th or 70th South mm-hmm. and that sun was just, you know, and you've got that kind of golden pinky glow in the morning so and it's just coming up above the mountain. Yeah. So I hope there's a little bit of cloud cover out there right now, but I hope we have a, a real sunny day, but it's always good to be here. Yeah, slight chance of showers today, but you could still get out there and get a few little things cleaned up in your yard still uh, before it's supposed to snow 70% chance of snow on Monday. Uh, this morning, nine o'clock hour feature is about house plant pests. And I feel like I've run into all of these little house plant pests, little white flies, little black flies. Uh, so tell us about what kinds of things we should be aware of and how to avoid pests in our house. Well, this fact sheet that we're posting is from Colorado State University. Mm-hmm. And as I was searching last night for an alternative topic, Uh, One we had kind of fell through anyway. I thought it was a really good fact sheet and comprehensive for what you'll see. So on this whole list, the most common houseplant pests are the uh, um, flies that you see, the little black flies. Mm -hmm. And they are common when you uh, overwater your plants. So what you will find is we still keep watering them just like we do during the summer. And they will, during the summer, you won't see a lot of them, but in the winter they start to show up and you will tap on a planter brush past it and you will have um, just this cloud of little gnat-looking flies that will then quickly re-land on the plant. And if you check this soil, it's probably way too wet. And it's been like that for a long time because normally their larvae will just 
feed on decomposing organic matter. But when you have numbers built, they start feeding on plant roots. And so the real damage is actually happening in the soil, but the annoyance is up above. And so the thing to do with that is just let the plant dry out. There are some drenches you can get that are organic. They will work as long as you dry things out. But we've got to be super careful because these fungus gnats will build very quickly because we're overwatering. Right. I've tried all sorts of things too. Like other than just not watering as much, not much else works. I've tried the little apple thing where they're supposed to fly into the, I mean, they have all these little get, you know, gizmos for the little gnats to fly into and they're not incredibly effective. No, you might get grossed out a little bit because there's a few fungus gnat worms in the apple or the potato or whatever it is you're trying. Well, and not a real potato. They just look like little apples yes, that you can buy at the yeah. store. Oh, I thought you were talking about you can cut up a potato and put it into the soil around the plant and they'll crawl in there. Oh, no, that and this more you just know you right. have them. You don't get enough. But the trick to it is just drying them out. But there, the other pests, you know, the mealybugs, the scales, the white flies, um, the spider mites are brought in from either the point of purchase or from the outdoors. And so on these, when you are purchasing a, a house plant, you need to actually inspect it. And look under the leaves, look on the stems, you know, look at the soil. Do you have fungus gnats in the soil? Tap the leaves a little bit. Do you see either white flies or these black fungus gnats flying off of the leaves? Mm -hmm. Do you have weird, like, gummy substances on the stems and undersides of the leaves? There's so many things to check for, for, but you really do need to do that inspection before you bring the plant home. Because even if you take it back and get a refund, if you put it that, other yeah, plants. the damage is done. Yeah, And a bottle of spray to treat those is usually as expensive as a new plant. And so, but the sprays available are usually horticultural soaps and oils because we're not wanting to use really harsh chemicals in our homes. And they are more of a suppression of the pest, they get you sub- the pest suppressed, but they don't kill all of them. And so you have to keep up with it. You know, a lot of times you are hand washing the plants in the sink with, you know, a Dawn dish soap, trying to get everything off. And it's just such a pain. The best way to handle it is prevention and make sure that what you bring home is pest-free. Right. This almost goes back to what you were talking about last week about quarantining plants that you bring from the outside. Well, these are from the outside, so they are possibly should be quarantining them as well. And, yeah, a lot of these plants also are grown in areas that are in greenhouse situations where there are literally thousands to hundreds of thousands of plants And the commercial growers are doing their best, but there's almost always low levels of pests and you don't want to be that, get that one plant that happens to be harboring a few that all of a sudden there's nobody doing anything to control the pests and a month later you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So is it pretty much, I'm looking at the fact sheet and it's pretty much Stop watering them as much as you can, but there are a few other things that you can do. Yes, and we've talked a little bit about washing the leaves, 
horticultural soaps and oils that you can purchase pre-mixed or mix yourself. And, you know, then they, there are some, they mention rubbing alcohol, but that can sometimes scorch leaves if you're using it to rub down. If you use rubbing alcohol, and I'm not recommending you do, you want to get it washed off quickly. Um, man, it's just the, the easiest thing to do is just make sure that you're not overwatering, you're properly fertilizing in the summer, and when you bring home new plants, inspect them at the greenhouse, the garden center, the box store before you bring them into your home. And when you do, maybe even then isolate them for probably 30 to 60 days to make sure nothing develops before you put that plant in its permanent home. Right. This article that you've put up on the Facebook page or that Carlos has put up for you um, is really good because it helps you identify. I mean, you can see exactly the different kinds of problems, different kinds of bugs. So you can identify them and uh, look specifically at what you can do to get rid of them. Yeah. The author, Whitney Crenshaw, is... It's a long... Yeah. It's one of the premier entomologists in the United States. Mm -hmm. He works for Colorado State University Extension, and he always does a very thorough job that makes it very readable to someone that doesn't have a very strong science background. Uh, well, I like that he's so, put all the pictures so I yes. can see exactly yep. what the problem is. Yeah, a lot of time and effort went into it. Okay, and you can find that article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We're going to come back with your calls and questions. We have callers lining up now. Number to call 801-575-8255. You can text us 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you this morning, taking your calls and questions. You can call us at 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. The next listener would like to know, Ton, what is the usual cause of leaf curl in a Satsuma plum and the best spray to prevent it? Uh, demons. And demons are the yeah, cause? No, uh, <laughs> holy water would be the Stop. solution. Okay. Um, no, uh, it's usually aphids. Okay. Um, the Japanese plums, especially satsuma, seem to be very prone to aphids. And mm-hmm. so when you start to see a little bit of the curl show up, you can use a horticultural soap or horticultural oil to get rid of them. Um, if it's been really bad for a lot of years, you may be able to use a systemic. There are some registered for th- such things. Some other things that could cause it are 2,4-D damage or dicamba damage from lawn weed killer sprays in the middle of the summer. There are also mm. um, 
I'm trying to think what else would cause them. It's called some fungal diseases, but you would see that the leaves are discolored and limbs start to die one at a time. But 90% of the time, it's aphids. Okay. Dan is the next uh, listener on the line, and Dan is in Riverton. Good morning, Dan. What is your question? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've had problems with my mom this last summer, turning brown in uh, a certain spot, a uh, certain area that kept getting worse. I just thought it needed more water, so I spot watered that area, and it still seemed to be getting worse. I checked the moisture content. The moisture was okay. Uh, so I was confused about that. So I sent in some samples. I took some samples into the extension service, Utah State Extension Service, and they said the lawn was basically uh, didn't have any insects and it, didn't have any disease or anything like that. And they thought the structure of, of the uh, that damaged part of the lawn was okay. And then I had some, uh, I sent in some soil samples, and that came back with the uh, salinity of very high uh, and as well as phosphorus and potassium. And uh, I'm you know, so going forward now, planning in the spring, I, I guess I need to leach the, uh, the lawn and other things is what, what you recommended there. Um, what was the measure of the salinity that they gave you? Because anything above two, they call very high. And I wish that they would tease those out a little more because you can still successfully garden at two or three. But if it was seven or eight, things become a lot more difficult. Well, I do have the numbers here. The salinity was 5.15. Okay. So it's not like disaster, we're going to crash and burn and never grow anything, but it's also problematic. And did what was your soil texture? My, my soil test? Texture. Oh, clay loam. Clay loam. So you it's probably loam. have some drainage in there that you could do some leaching. Now, if we can get some rain and snow, that will leach some of it out. And are you yeah, irrigating probably. with Jordan River water? I, I am irrigating water system, yes. So you are using the Jordan River water. And that's going to be adding to your problem because it's always slightly salty. And so what you're going to need to do when you irrigate is irrigate deeply so that you can flush salts through the soil. And mm-hmm. in critical areas, let's say you have a small garden or a fruit tree, you may take a hose out there in August and then again in September and just run it for a couple of hours to see if that fresh water will leach some of that uh, those salts through because you start to get saltier water in late summer due to evaporation. And so follow mm-hmm. those instructions on leaching on the soil test But some other things that you could look at maybe doing is if that area that's really salty that you can't get the turf to grow, maybe transition it over to turf-type tall fescue. Change to turf-type? Yes, tall fescue. fescue. It looks like bluegrass, but it's just a lot more salt-tolerant. Okay. Uh, well, I was thinking uh, when the spring came, I would probably irrigate the, uh, the, the ground. And, that will help. And then uh, uh, as, as far as leaching goes, uh, the instructions are, were, man, I'd like to get it in half what it is now. I'd have to put down about six, six inches of clean water. You would. Water. You would. Uh, uh, and, and so I was worried, well, how am I going to do that? If, if the secondary sprinkler system 
is, is kind of high. Um, well, it's content. probably uh, going to be lower than the the salinity of the soil, and you'll only get it down potentially to the salinity of the water. But even if you mm-hmm. could drop that to three, that would be a big improvement. And so okay. I would go ahead and just use the water available because you can have the soil lab test the water also. But in the spring, it shouldn't be as bad. And I would just do your irrigation and then transition it over to the fescue because I think that it'll do better. Okay. So basically overseed with the... Yeah, and when you're renovating, maybe mix some organic matter in, some compost. That would help mm-hmm. if you do renovate it. Anything you can do along those lines will help the plants grow better. Okay. All righty. Well, yeah, I had the questions about a lot of water to put down. And, and what you'll do is saturate the soil, give it a little bit of time to drain, and saturate it again. And then let mm-hmm. it drain a little bit, saturate it again. The trick to this is not is you're not going to allow that soil to dry out. And mm-hmm. so if you allow it to dry, those salts will just leach right back up. So you have mm-hmm. to keep it saturated until you get that six inches down to drive the soils deeper into the, the salts, deeper into the soil. And then after that, should I overseed it then with that new seed? Yeah, after uh, that, I would let it dry down sufficiently that you can till it and then mix in organic matter and then put the turf-type tall fescue seed down and get it going. Uh, so how do you get that high anyway? Uh, just natural. Riverton, Bluffdale has some areas with already salty soil, and then irrigation with Jordan River water doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, All right, thank Dan. you for your time. Great. Thanks for your call this morning, Dan. Uh, next listener, Ton says, you were talking about small engines and using gas without ethanol. They want to know, hey, where do I get gas without ethanol? Well, uh, not every Maverick, but many of the newer, bigger Mavericks will have a pump mm-hmm. with ethanol-free fuel. And they'll have a sign that's usually blue, blue that says ethanol-free fuel. Many other gas stations have it. And you can, at least you could, if you uh, search on Google or whatever your preferred search engine is, uh, Utah ethanol free fuel service stations or something similar. There's actually a whole list available of service stations that carry that sort of fuel. And it's, it'll, it'll be 20 or 30 cents more a gallon, but it's what you always run through your small engines. All right, we need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. When we come back, Sheila, you will be up next. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. 
now available anywhere you get your podcasts.